This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Live. that I didn't take a sip of my coffee just as that was ending. But hello and good morning, <laughs> everyone. And welcome back to another awesome episode of the Top 10 by Deep Vibes Nation. Uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us this early. I'm your host, Tia Fabi. And with me, I have Brittany Hegel. How are you today, Brittany? I'm good. I was just thinking about how... Um, you were talking about taking a sip of coffee. There's so many times because, you know, we do this early in the morning that I'm like, oh, I'm going to eat breakfast. And then you'll go to ask me a question right mm-hmm. as I'm like about to like get a big mouthful. And I'm like, wait a second. Let me, let me give myself a second. <laughs> no, I completely understand. There are so many times that I'm doing, say, uh, Geek Vibes Live with Juwan and Nick, and I'll be heating up food and uh, drinking coffee, and and then they try and go to me, and I realize that I've put myself on mute, so I'll cough, and they'll be like, Tia, Tia, and I'm like, ah, oh, shit, I'm on mute right now, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Good, nobody wants to hear you. No, I'm joking. Wow, wow, no. all right, well... I guess I'm going to have to do the top 10 by myself today, <laughs> which we should talk about what the top 10 is, so it'll probably be good. We're doing the top 10 Westerns in TV and movies. Now, the thing is, Brittany and I are pretty big fans of Westerns, which um, if you know anything about cinema was really huge. I believe somewhere within the 1950s, 60s, and even 70s, Westerns were kind of, I would say, the superheroes of back in the day. I know that sounds like a terrible analogy, but what I mean is, obviously, the movies uh, industry are just saturated with superhero movies this, you know, century, but it used to be Westerns. And to me, I love a good Western. It's what I grew up on living, uh, you know, with my grandparents and everything. I just love Western. So I think it's going to be a good list. What do you think? I think so, too. You know, we both grew up with, like, our grandpas, like, hey, I love Westerns. We're going to watch Westerns. And I was like, you know what? They're good. They were. You were right. They are very much, like, the superhero films of the past where everybody was like, oh, I want to be a cowboy. I want to be Clint Eastwood. So, no, I think it was a good comparison. It was Clint Eastwood and John Wayne were, like, the number one uh, Western stars. And I feel like uh, if you look at John Wayne's filmography, probably, like, 99% of them are Westerns. But... (laughs) I'm really excited for this. I think we should just jump right in. And, Brittany, I'm going to start with you. Give us your number 10 for our top Westerns and in TV and movies. I'm going to go. You know, you would think I would want this higher up, but I know there's better movies than this. And I'm going to go with The Salvation because you know I love Uh, me some Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I knew this was going to be on the list, so let's hear it. (laughs) <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, it's like uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan ends up playing uh, Della Rue, who is uh, 
basically he was a con- I think it was he a Union soldier or a Confederate soldier. I can't remember. But basically he has a deep seated hate of Native Americans. Well he is a an outlaw who he has a brother who ends up getting killed by Mad Nicholson, I think is his name. Who uh because this man killed his wife and son and so he was on a vendetta to get revenge. Well, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's character is controlling this town, and um, I'm trying to say, trying to keep the linear of it. But basically, he has this obsession with like his dead brother's wife, and one he calls her princess. She has her tongue cut out because it got cut out by Native Americans. And it's just this big war between wanting revenge for his brother, but also Mad Nicholson's character is like, I just want to be left alone. I mean, I just got revenge because technically your brother raped and killed his wife and killed his son. So you would think that would be fair enough. But I love the atmosphere of just this, uh, it's like a very tug of war where it's like, just leave me alone, but also... (laughs) Don't murder is a big theme of it if you don't want to be murdered. Um, One of the scenes in The Salvation that always sticks out to me is that one scene where Delarue is demanding two people out of the crowd to kill, and they're carrying out that guy who doesn't have any legs. And he's obviously crying and begging for his life because just because he doesn't have legs doesn't mean that he deserves to die. But to the townspeople, um, that his life is less valuable than anyone else's. And so I just, that scene alone in the town square, I'm like, that's terrible. And also shame on the town for deciding so quickly who should die. Oh, no, I love that scene, too, because Delarue ends up where they end up killing a the man with no legs, and they end up killing a little old lady, and Delarue is so disapproving of it, and he's like, oh, I asked for two people, and you give me an old lady and half a man, so he ends up killing another man, but I think the one scene I love, too, is, uh, you know, his, uh, his ex-sister-in-law, since the brother passed, he... Uh, he ends up sleeping with her, and you think, oh, okay, because he's like, oh, you know, I felt that, didn't you, that, you know, this is what I wanted for so long, and you're like, okay, so they slept together, and then she turns her head slightly, and you see the bruises all over her face, and you're like, oh, it wasn't consensual. That just got way darker than I thought. Well, I mean, considering who the character is, I wouldn't doubt it at all. Listen, this isn't Negan who has his uh, no rape policy. Delarue apparently has no problem with it. I know. Delarue is so terrifying. Can we talk about that Fu Manchu, which I don't know if it's actually called a Fu Manchu, but the the handlebar. What, his mustache? Yes. I just imagine Jeffrey Dean Morgan sitting there and just carefully like shaving and just being like, you know what, this is cool. I'm gonna rock this. I feel like every Western they all have these like insane mustaches. You think that the seventies era gave birth to mustaches? No. The Western everyone has 
some crazy mustaches. Like if you look at pictures back in the day, they went they went a little crazy. I know. Or um which now thinking back on it as I was talking about that western, I was like, Delaru isn't the good guy. I think I should have went with the I should I should have went with like, Oh yeah, this is why Mad Nicholson's character is after him or you know, like the whole thread of it, but I have such no, like it's it's because you love Jeffrey Dean Morgan, so he could be playing the most despicable character on the face of the earth and you'd still just be honed in on him. No, yes. It's true. <laughs> Come at me because it is true. I can't even be mad about it. No, I love it. I was expecting the salvation to be on this list. Anytime that we have a list and something has to do with Jeffrey Dean Morgan, I'm expecting it on the list, such as The Resident, The Walking Dead, anything else in between. He's going to show up on the top ten. Funnily enough, I was watching. Uh, I think it was it's like Desierto, but it was. Uh, that also has Jeffrey Dean Morgan in it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Certainly going to, and I think it's a great way to start out the list. The Salvation with Jeffrey Dean Morgan and Mads Mikkelsen. I will say that I don't think that it's the best constructed movie, but I think that when you have two titans like them, like those two actors acting in it, they can make something like that compelling. And in no way am I saying that it's a bad movie. Um, it, in a way, I think maybe their talents were lost just a little. I don't know if you agree no. with me and you're like, Tia, you're shitting all over a movie that I love. <laughs> no, no, that's I, I agree because that's the reason I made it number 10, even though I love the movie. I knew it couldn't contend with the other ones that are going to be on this list. It's one of those things that I've started realizing. I was like, man, actors really get the brunt of a movie being bad, but it's not always them. It's a lot of the directing because we've seen absolutely wonderful actors end up being cast as something where we're like, oh, my God, I can't believe they played in that. That movie was awful. And it's like, okay, they can. there's only so much direction they can be given. Well, it's also how something's edited as well. I mean, you have to think about from their perspective, they're just acting and things don't come together. So they don't see it until it's the final product. And it could be a bad final product. But either way, I love this. I think it's perfect. Um, I'm going to hop into the number nine slot. So I should have said this before we kind of hop around again. This is – the best westerns and televisions and movies. Now, Brittany, I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to do that. It's up for interpretation. So I'm going to. Oh no! Few, I'm good with that. I'm going to have a few wacky choices here that you might look at me like I'm crazy, but it's okay. <laughs> and you're going to laugh at my next choice. I'm putting down the series Justified because even oh, though I knew it. <laughs> it's a modern day western. It's all it reminds me of. Because even in the first episode, you have uh, Timothy Oliphant, who is playing, um, oh my God, what the heck was his name? <gasps> you remember what his name was? How bad is it that I'm forgetting that? Right oh, it now? starts Raylan. with an R. But yeah, Raylan. I was like, 
I was like, oh my god, I had like a brain fart there for a second. But he <laughs> plays. That's just you. <laughs> he plays Raylan, and in the first freaking episode alone, he like has like a shootout with this guy where he like draws his gun. Like he literally walks around in like cowboy cowboy boots, like a cowboy hat. He has his like gun holstered on his hip where he literally is doing the whole like you know in like the westerns where they like they have their hand on the gun and they're so ready to just like pull it out and bam and it's like that's what he does the whole entire show and even I remember um every time I watch it like and Paulie's like this guy is just killing everyone and he's supposed to be a sheriff but everything and like and that's another thing it's like he's like a marshal which even in on itself sounds so old and Western. And every single time he's like, it was just the fad. <laughs> oh my gosh. But like, I don't know. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but he like, seriously, I think watched way too many Westerns growing up and where they are in like uh, Kentucky is very much like outlaw state. So so much of it has that uh, outlaw Western feel where it's uh, dry and, and people, there's so many standoffs and everything. So to me, it's like a modern day Western is what they were going for, especially with Raylan's uh, character. Cause it's one of those things where it's not like, Oh, I'm just going to call the police and they're going to handle this. Even though he's the cop, he like, handles many things as if he's like a sheriff in an old town or something like that. So to me, I know that this was like a stretch and not maybe the most traditional term sense of being a Western, but I had to put justified because that's, if anyone asks me to describe the series, I'm going to describe it as a modern day Western. So that's my number nine. And what do you think about my, uh, my choice there? Oh, that's great. I, I definitely think modern Westerns, because of course we're going to have ones that come to different interpretation, because a lot of those Westerns are so old that we haven't got to see all of them. So we're going to go to the Westerns that we grew up with. And whether it be modern, past, or modern that was like set in the past, it's the ones that we're going to be able to remember the most. But I love that you put Justified on there because we also know that later on this will probably show up again with that actor. I wanted to say that his character in this reminds uh, me very much of another character. Uh, that you're probably going to put later on the list, so I won't say anything. But um, <laughs> first of all, I love the characters. You have Raylan, and then you have um, then you have Tim Gutterson, who's kind of like the sharpshooter in the group, and you have uh, Walton Goggins, who plays like the bad guy, who you know he's like the rascal outlaw who always tends to get out of jail, which you know. When you watch shows like this, they give you, like, the perception that, like, it's just a swinging door, apparently, in jail. No one goes for a super long time. They just go there for a little bit, and they come out. And I'm like, everything that this guy has done, he should definitely be in prison for, like, the next few decades. (laughs) No kidding. You know, that's the thing about Westerns, that they always seem to follow, like, a a formula. There's, like, uh, makes me think of the sugar spice, everything nice, Powerpuff Girls. But it's (laughs) the perfect mixture of, like, good villain. But have you noticed there's always the main character, and he always has the sidekick. 
And whether it be someone younger, like a, a kid being a psychic, a teenager, or, uh, you know, the, the smart uh, commenting uh, sidekick who's, you know, a little more wild than the main character, or a little more of a, like a tragic backstory. And that's where, for a lot of these Westerns that we're going to mention, there's always, like, the secondary character that's just, like, just as cool, but doesn't get, like, all the glory, like, the main character. And I definitely feel like that's how Justified is. Well, you already know that I love uh, Jacob Pitt's character, Tim, more than I like Raylan, just because uh, Tim is, like, the silent, uh, you know, sharpshooter who... You know, you don't really know a lot about him, and he kind of keeps quiet, but he comes in in a pinch. But Raylan's just like, he's a little too much sometimes, because I'm like, you know that you are supposed to be the law. You can't just be shooting everyone all the time, because he's always like, I ain't taking you in. I'm just shooting you. And I'm like, I think you're supposed to take them in. (laughs) Right. That reminds me of uh, we watched that movie. Oh, what's it called? Um, Sleepless, where he's like, you move the evidence, and she's like, yeah, and he's like, you didn't follow protocol. He's like, it's just like so upset, and makes me think, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was just evidence. I couldn't imagine being like, well, why did you kill the guy? Well, he did this, and it's like, I think you need to go to like therapy or something. I think. <laughs> I think maybe this is good with the way the news has been and everything's been going on lately. I'm pretty sure that would be highly publicized. Well, I mean, that's the whole premise of the first episode is that he was in Miami and he literally like goes to a restaurant, sits down with this like known criminal and they're just sitting there and the guy like makes a hand movement and Raylan just like automatically like shoots him like very Western you know, shoots him right in his freaking seat. And that's the whole reason why they sent him back to Kentucky, because they're like, this is Miami. This isn't the Wild West. And it's also modern day, so you can't just be doing this, and that's really bad publicity for us. And he's just like, but it was justified, I swear. There oh, my God. A, there, there needs to be a drinking game that every time Raylan says that a shooting of his is justified that you take a shot, I guarantee, like, you'll be hammered within the first, like, half hour. Yeah, I like my liver where it is, like, functioning. <laughs> I really I don't think that, I'm going to just come and see you. I don't need those kind of drinking games. <laughs> exactly. So, um, even though I know that this is a bit of a stretch, that's what I'm going to put for my number nine, and I'm super curious to see what you put as your number eight, Brittany. I'm going to go with, uh, see, I felt like this was kind of strange because as we said, Westerns have kind of a formula, a time period where you feel like, oh, it can't be quite that, but I'm going to go with the the blah, 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 the Revenant with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hardy, where the we all know this one. This is the one where Leonardo DiCaprio finally, finally won his Oscar. <laughs> yes, yes. And okay, let's talk about that bear scene. Um, so you know, well, first off, you know his character. He gets messed up by that bear. And I'm telling you, when people said that scene was brutal, was the bear? I was like, uh, you know, it can't 
see that, but they probably won't show it all. No, it, like when you think it's over, it keeps on going. I literally remember watching this movie and looking over at my boyfriend going, oh my God, it's still going. It's still going. And just the fact of uh, Tom Hardy's character, his hate of Native Americans and hate that the, his son is like, you know, half savage in his words and the fact of just like scaring that one kid into being like yeah let's leave him um also i think tom hardy's character kills his son doesn't he but um the fact of his character uh leonardo's character having to be basically mauled and somehow still make it because he wants revenge for his son's death so badly that at that point he is basically the walking dead no relation to the tv show and just trying to hunt him down which i do think is very western in its own right because there always is the hero that even if he gets hurt and loses in the initial point he will do nothing to like not kill the villain which in that point, or, you know, in a point of revenge, revenge is a big point of Westerns, but that scene, too, with the Native American girl getting raped against the tree is just awful. But it was very, like, very much the formula. And when I was looking up, trying to think of what Westerns I wanted to do, and it was like, Revenant, Westerns. And I was like, is it too early to be considered a Western? But it is. But I was uh, very... uh, very prone to put this on the list just for the fact of, as I said, that formula, the horror, the how well that movie did. I do think um, there's it probably deserves to be higher up, but there's other movies and TV shows that I like way more. So I'm going to put it there. What do you think, Tia? That bear scene was so unrealistic. I'm sorry. Leonardo DiCaprio would have totally been dead. Like, completely. And you're right, Brittany. I remember, I don't know who told me where I saw it, but someone had said, you know, it just kept going. And I remember watching, I'm like, oh, my God, it's still going. The bear comes back for more at some point. And you don't know at some point in that you should be, like, rooting for the bear. You're like, you know what? Let nature take its course, I guess. The bear deserves this, you know? Um, it was insane. its cub? What did you say? I said, isn't it just protecting its cub at that point, too? God, I forget. You know, I've only seen The Revenant maybe, like, once. But I will I say... I, oh, I'm sorry. I love... I love Leonardo DiCaprio and certainly think that he deserves an Oscar at some point in his life. I just don't think that this is the movie he deserved it for. Um, I've spoken about this before with, say, um, Tom, uh, not sorry, with uh, Juwan, but Tom Hardy completely deserved an award for that movie. He was better than Leonardo DiCaprio in that. And I thought that um, it was really interesting to kind of see Tom Hardy's character throughout the movie um, because you were always kind of waiting for the big reveal that he had been, like, manipulating the situation all along. I, he does, I believe, kill the son, and he leaves Leonardo DiCaprio's character out there to die because he's just like, this is how it was supposed to be. Um, <laughs> but can we talk briefly about... <laughs> Like, I love my man Tom Hardy, 
and he always changes up his voice, and he says, well, but the man cannot do a really good American accent. <laughs> yeah, and my only thing where I'm like, okay, I'll give it to him on this one is because it was at a point when a lot of people were immigrating, and, you know, but, yeah, on a different note, he does have issues. That's why we always talk about, like, it's, no, that's not considered a, would you consider Lawless a Western or just uh, old time? It's like Prohibition era. Um, I mean, we'll get into that. That may or may not be on my list a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, uh, in that movie, he, uh, in the movie that shall remain unnamed for now, again, even though I already said it, um, he, he, he I still, I'm, just gonna, I'm throwing that out there now, because you threw my pick out there, I'm going to throw your pick out there. Oh, I didn't even hear you, so. Deadwood. No, you shut your mouth, girl. Then you just hear us fighting. You know, we go on for the next hour and a half just, like, us slamming each other, airing everything out. Like, this is why I hate you. I can't stand you. It's going to be like the Beatles breaking up. Maybe quite not that intense. But in Lawless, he, uh, we still think that's the reason he grunts and mumbles is because he can't do an American accent. Well, it's like, and again, his acting in The Resonant was absolutely, like, superb. As I said, I think he was definitely the more compelling one in that movie over Leonardo DiCaprio, but it was distracting a few times because he's supposed to be from the South and, you know, a real bluegrass state kind of guy. I mean, there was nothing in there that suggested that he had immigrated from overseas I think that it was supposed to be that he was born in America but he still sounded like he was from England and I was like oh Fitzgerald but um yeah (laughs) I love that you put the revenant uh I think certainly that it deserves to be on this list as we said this is going to be like a loose type of uh, westerns list, and for anyone who says that they don't like westerns, well, tough shit. Um, but <laughs> uh, I'm going to hit the number seven slot, and I love picking this simply because what I think that Quentin Tarantino did best was spaghetti westerns. And no Western is a better spaghetti Western than Django Unchained, um, yes. in my opinion. You have Jamie Foxx, um, you know, as, uh, you know, a slave who becomes freed, and he's looking for his wife, and he gets hooked up with a Christoph Waltz character who is a German dentist, remember? <laughs> with his little, like, cart with the, like... And, the whole thing, the whole movie is just so badass to me because you have, I love the dynamic, first of all, between, say, Jamie Foxx's character and Christoph Waltz because, obviously, we're in America at this point, and we are during the time of slavery. And you have Christoph Waltz, who's from Germany, who doesn't understand uh, the, the big deal, essentially, why this is happening because in Overseas, slavery had been abolished for many, many, many years before America decided to do it. And so he has no problem with hooking up with Jane Fox and, in fact, wants to then help him find his wife again. 
and the whole movie is just so intense, the action, the this, the that, and you always are, like, sitting there trying to figure out, you know, is Jamie Foxx actually going to see his wife? And, of course, see, that's the movie that I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio could have won an award for because he was so good at being such an utter asshole as the slave owner, but it was, like, all of that in one. I mean, you had Leonardo DiCaprio, you had... Uh, Samuel L. Jackson, who was like, you know, the head slave, the butler, who was acting so compliant with um, with Leonardo DiCaprio's character. And I love that at the end you find out that he was kind of like faking his injuries the whole time to, you know, seem like he was more meek and compliant to kind of win more favor with Leonardo DiCaprio's character to make his character more comfortable. But the whole thing was great. The action was so awesome. I mean, just there are so many great scenes in that. I love when Jamie Foxx's character comes back and just, like, blasts everyone away. And I certainly um, enjoyed the scene where Christoph Waltz and Leonardo DiCaprio have that standoff where Leonardo DiCaprio's like, you need to shake my hands. And he's like, I ain't shaking your hands. And the whole time, it's like, I got it. This, like, Leonardo DiCaprio's character was despicable, but they were talking about pretty much freeing Jamie Foxx's wife. So the whole time I was like, just shake his freaking hands. I'm like, you don't have to like him. Just shake his hands and, you know, get, get away from this guy and get Jamie Foxx's wife freed essentially, you know, so the whole thing just kind of, like, had me on edge the whole time, but it was such a perfect scene, I love the movie so much, like, as far as Quentin Tarantino movies go, I think that it's certainly one of the best, so to me, I'm putting Django Unchained on the list, and I'd love to hear what you think about uh, this movie being on the top 10 westerns. No, I love it. I think it's definitely, especially at the time period for a Western. But can we talk about Quentin Tarantino's love affair that is Christoph Waltz? He is, like, in every single one of his movies. Not that I'm complaining, because I love that man. But I, I, every time I'm like, oh, okay, he's there. When, when's he going to pop up? Uh, Unglorious Bastards, uh, for one. Inglorious. Why did I say Unglorious Inglorious Bastards, but no. You know, that is one movie that for some reason I am cursed. I never see the beginning of it. I always see the middle and end, but I've never actually seen the beginning of Django Unchained. But uh, no, that scene whenever he's like, shake my hand. I'm like, just shake his hand. <laughs> I know the whole time. I was like, all just, of it. I was like, just shake his hand. Like, Leonardo DiCaprio's character was so good in that. I don't know if you knew this, but um, the scene where they're kind of all having dinner and Leo is like ha- is like talking about how um, the the brain of like a black person is smaller than the brain of a white person, which oh my god, just like typical like racist plantation owner type shit. And he like smashes that glass and he starts bleeding and he's like rubbing it all over like Jamie Foxx's uh, wife's face. Do you know that he actually cut his hand in that moment and that was completely like ad-libbed and that's why she looked yes. so horrified? <laughs> I know. I was about to bring that up. No. I, and part of me is like, I hope 
you know if you're clean or not at that point to be like rubbing your blood all over someone's face. I feel like method acting or not, you're gonna get punched if you're smearing your actual blood on my face. Like, I have to say that. I would love to know, like, what happened when they, like, cut the cameras. Was she like, are you fucking kidding me? And he's like, I was just going with it. <laughs> I feel like there, there's a, you know, whenever we're in drama and, uh, you know, we would practice improv. And, yeah, you'd do some silly stuff just to, like, you know, get it out there. You kind of go with your feeling. But I don't think that was ever taught to, uh, you know, go quite that far of actually legitimately. That would be like me in improv. And, well, it's not even that close. But just, like, picking up a cup of water and, like, pouring it on someone. But imagine instead of water, it's blood. It's like, Ugh, you know what? No. No, thank you. <laughs> Oh my god. No, to me, like, I really would love to watch this movie again, because it's been a while, so I'm probably, like, bastardizing the, um, whatchamacallit, the the description of it. But it was so good. Like, first of all, you have this Western where, again, um, like, it's focused around slavery, right? And you make a black person, the main hero in it, where he is able to kill the plantation owner, kill his bitch wife, you know, the plantation owner's wife, um, completely just be badass and blow shit up and get the woman in the end. And that's just so, like, satisfying, the fact that that is the whole, like, thing about the movie. And then you have, like, this wonderful relationship between him and Christoph Waltz's character. It's just so amazing. Like, their friendship was so great to me. And it's like, you know, as you said, and I said, we were sitting there screaming for him to just shake Leonardo DiCaprio's hand. But he wasn't only doing it because he was so disgusted with Leo's character, but also, you know, almost taking a stand of, like, you shouldn't be allowed to get away with this type of behavior. These are real people, and you're just treating them, like, as if they're objects. Uh, the, the whole movie was very tense. Where there is times that with Quentin Tarantino's movies that I almost feel like, oh, they're going to be humor. Like, okay. Imagine my horror as a, as a, because uh, uh, I think I was a teen when Inglorious Bastards came out. And I was like, oh, you know, I thought it was a uh, comedy because the way it's kind of lit up and very like, um, yeah. you know, like his style. And I was like, oh, it's a comedy. I get into the nope. movie and I'm like, oh, this is, <laughs> I don't know what I've gotten myself into. I, I was horrified, especially with the, the theater burning part I was like okay uh, I've learned my lesson so Jingo and Shane I was like oh is it is it gonna be a little funny I was like okay it has humorous parts but it's just messed up but I think even messed up parts he almost has like I don't know if it's a humor to it but almost like an amusement to it and I was like okay like the handshaking part I'm like okay it's kind of funny and you're like oh no it's not funny it's not funny What's going well, on? Abort, abort. There is like, you know, as you said, some humorous aspects. Like to me, I always found that like Leonardo DiCaprio's character was so animated 
what what's the scene where he was like, you had my attention, now you have my curiosity, or something like that, you know, or, um, you know, the humor sometimes comes from the fact that uh, Christoph Waltz and Jamie Foxx are riding in on town, and everyone's looking so strange, and Christoph Waltz is like, what the hell is going on? And Jamie Foxx is like, oh, they've never seen a black person on a horse before, and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Why? Yeah, <laughs> but... You know, but the way they, they, like, delivered the lines, and I think that was done on purpose to counterbalance how much, you know, how serious it actually was and the violence that was going to ensue. I don't know. I love this movie. To me, it's absolutely one of my favorite, not only Quentin Tarantino movies, but one of my favorite Jamie Foxx movies. Like, I think that was probably one of the first movies I saw with him, and I was like, oh, I really like this guy as an actor, because... I had only really ever known him, say, as, like, um, a musician. So to see him in that acting capacity, I really liked it. I was going to say, on an off note, I don't think I had ever seen Jamie Foxx play in anything until Baby Driver. And ever since then, I was like, oh, he's great. He's wonderful. And now it feels like I see him in everything. And so I didn't realize that that was him in Jingo and Chainsaw. I was like, this is great. He's a great actor. Yeah, I, I really like him, um, and I think that he definitely brings a lot to the stage whenever he gets there. So, number seven, Django Unchained. Let's move right along. Brittany, what's your number six? Well, I'm going to pick one, and I know it's on your list, and I'm going to go ahead and apologize now, so don't hate me. I'm uh, going to go with Magnificent Seven. Which version? Uh, the newer one. one. Okay. Okay. I was gonna say they are a little bit different, but um, as we know, Bartholomew Bogue. Which why do Western villains always have the craziest names to begin with? <laughs> Especially when they're but, in the uh, South. <laughs> well, girl. Okay. <laughs> but um, as we know, T is from New York. I'm from Arkansas. So sometimes our point of views of the South are a little bit different though we do agree on some things you Yankees but uh, no Bartholomew Bogue he's wanting to take over this town because of the gold he's wanting there and I think also he's wanting the land from it too because he has that scene where he's in the the church and it, it, which talking about that scene is the villains in westerns are always so scary because it's always them taking over a town and I think it does go to act to that lawlessness of that there's no real law to stop it. Normally it's just one sheriff, one person that's sitting there, and that's about the only thing that stands in their way. And that's a pretty hard one. Everybody seems to have a gun in Western. <laughs> Even sometimes the kids are pulling out a gun. But uh, that's where you have the main girl in the show, I mean, in the movie, that's, uh she gets the help. I'm trying to remember his name because he's played by – Denzel Washington. I'm trying to remember his name. It was Sam Chisholm. Yes. And yes, that's what it was. I, I just love the story of them going through and he's getting like his uh, ragtag bunch of people who aren't always, you know, the most heroic. You have uh, Chris Pratt's character, which he's still my favorite. But all these, like, this ragtag group of people just trying to come together and save this town. And there's seven of them. Seven of them. And they're basically taking on an army, but just rallying this town to not live in, like, 
fear anymore. And he's trying to, because uh, Bogue's character is like trying to buy all their land for basically pennies, which I know pennies were considerably worth more at that point, but you get me. But I just love the aspect of it because we both know where that may come up again. It's like, it's not exactly the same story. It is a remake. It's a remake of a remake of a remake. <laughs> but um, I just love the setup of it. And it is very tragic. And it's, you know, there is death. There is, it's just that desperation for people to get back. And then, you know, Sham, Sam Chisholm's uh, backstory for why he's more likely to help against Bogue. But I think it's a really good example of a Western of just the, uh, once again, it follows the algorithm of heroes, bad guy. And sometimes the good guys don't always live at the end. And that's pretty sad. But uh, I know we both love this movie because we ended up watching it together the last time you were in Arkansas. As you know, I had... So, the recent Magnificent Seven came out in 19... Not well. It came out in 2016, right? And I was so against it because I loved the original Magnificent Seven, the 1960s version. But I'm so upset that I didn't watch this one sooner because it was absolutely great. Uh, yeah, Denzel Washington was the perfect, uh, like, you know, it's, it's seven of them, but he's the main character in the movie, and he was perfect in that. Loved his acting, um, absolutely just, like, really loved it. But um, what was I going to say? I uh, completely got distracted. Mom, stop texting me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I got distracted earlier because, uh, as we know, we all have cats. And I'm like, Toby, I'm trying to talk. And he, like, knocked a box off. He was calling on the inside super loud. And I'm like, can you not, for five seconds, just leave it alone? <laughs> but I I loved Denzel Washington in that role. I thought he was really good in it. And as you know, loved Peter Sarsgaard. Sarsgaard, not Skarsgaard. He's not part of that family. But um, loved him as Bartholomew Bogue, the main villain, because I really enjoyed his opening scene where he goes to the church and he's like shaking the dirt in front of everyone and just. It was so good. I love that Matt Bomer was in this movie for all of, like, five seconds um, before getting killed. I was like, you poor bastard. But, uh, you know, frankly, as much as I love Bartholomew Bogue and I love Denzel Washington, um, as you know, I loved Ethan Hawke's character in this. Yeah. I, I loved him as this character that, he was very like a wild bill where everyone knew the legend of him and knew that he was not someone to be messed with. Like I love that scene in the beginning when they're like, uh, you know, what what was it? His his friend was kind of like, you know, oh god, what was that beginning? But I, you know what I mean, right? When they like first meet Ethan Hawke's character, like- Good Night, and. At first, the guy doesn't want to, like, pay up, and they're like, that's a good night. And he's like, oh, I didn't know, sir. I'm so sorry. And he's like, you can make up for it by giving me extra money, pretty much. But finding out that then later he has stopped doing what he was doing because killing all those people was eating away at his soul. That, I loved that whole aspect of it, and pretty much his friends 
was there to kind of like keep him on the straight and narrow, but then he had to return to the way that he once was to help this, you know, town from being terrorized by Bartholomew. I mean, the whole thing was so cool. I loved the, the freaking scene where uh, Bartholomew has his men, like, break out that, like, Western machine gun, as I like to call it. And just, cause that's, <laughs> and, I think, and I think you showed me, because I didn't believe it at first. I was like, this could not have existed back then. But I think I saw that it actually did. It was, like, a hand-cranked, like, machine gun. And it was just like, holy shit. Like, they were just going at it. But you know what's one of my favorite scenes in that movie? Is, um, is Faraday's death. As morbid as that sounds, because you at first think that he is really dead. He's all slumped over. And they're like, oh, too bad, blah, blah, blah. And then he just kind of, like, grins because he has the freaking stick of dynamite in his hand. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> That was so good. The whole it was really good. Um, I loved all of them. Even Vincent D'Onofrio's character, I was like, "What is wrong with this guy? He's like this big bear, like just barreling into everyone." Um, which it got straight. I'm trying to think of what his name is. Um, oh, he was a real life. He was a real life person. He was a colonel. It wasn't, uh, I wanted to say Colonel Jack, Mustard, but that's. Jack Horn? No, uh, he's not in this movie, but it was about that, that gun. Is that basically that, that gun, there was only a few of them in the U.S. at that time. Mm-hmm. And he foolishly decided, oh, let's not take that gun. We can win this battle on our own. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, he never ended up bringing that gun, which was one just like that that would have won the battle. They ended up getting, like, overran and, like, killed very easily. Like, everyone died in that battle. And they're like, you should have just taken that thing. And, I mean, if you had a gun like that one in that movie, you'd be like, you know what? I don't care if we're not going to, like, you know, need it, need it. But, you know, if it comes to life. So when we're watching that movie and you see that big gun come out, I was like, Okay, I I definitely understand why they should have taken it now because that was very excessive, but it it did some damage. Oh, hell yeah! That shit was ripping apart everything. I was like, oh my god, that was crazy. I was gonna say about Good Night. Um, it was because his friend was uh, Asian, and you know, as we know during that time, you know minorities were very like not respected so i think a uh, good night basically was like yeah i'm taking him under my wing you know we're gonna make money with him showing and all that good stuff because oh see i can be his representative to deal with these type of people but as we know later on it's like good night's hands were shaking so bad he couldn't really shoot straight anymore he couldn't shoot like mm-hmm. and it was kind of like that was his apprentice he was kind of taking over for him but also his cover Right. Well, the thing is, like, and you know what was nice about, say, this version of The the Magnificent Seven is that you certainly had um, a little bit more of a diverse cast because, you know, Denzel, um, I'm trying to, I'm going to butcher this guy's name, but the guy who, his uh, good night's friend, Billy Rock, which is such a freaking cool name. Uh, The actor's name is Bung Hun Lee. 
And then you have Manuel Garcia Ruffalo, who played Vasquez. And, uh, I love Martin. Him. I love Vasquez. And then Martin Sinsmeyer, um, who played the Native American guy who uh, came in on all of it. So you have, like, this more diverse cast um, that you can do in this 2016 version. And they all work really well with each other. I loved how at first you had, obviously, they were kind of, like, all opposed of each other because obviously Vincent D'Onofrio's character is in. He plays someone who like uh, pretty much collected scouts of Native Americans. And I think that they even like had him and the Native American kid become friendly with each other. And uh, Faraday and Vasquez at first butted heads, but then they ended up like becoming friends with each other. So I really like that aspect in the whole thing. And of course, Goodnight would never, ever accept anyone talking shit about Billy Rock because I think there's even a scene where uh, Goodnight is like, if I'm going, Billy's going with me. Oh, I, I love that part. And I was going to say, the part with Vincent D'Onofrio's character was, I think during that time period, um, the government was paying, like, for every scalp of a Native American, yeah, that will pay you, but he had such guilt and such, like, I think, a lot of uh, horror from it that it really scarred him. So with him, with the Native American boy, I think it was like his way of like, he still had that that racism, but also a lot of guilt. So he was more able to move on from that. But it had such good messages to everything. Everybody getting along. (laughs) I loved it. And I hope you don't mind because I'm looking at the slots and I'm like, I don't want to take up too much. If you don't mind if I comment really quickly as, like, maybe a 6.2, um, also commenting on the original 1960s version of Magnificent Seven. Oh, yeah, as you, you know, could add it as another point if you wanted to because it is – it's fairly different than the original, and I remember the original. Well, the original, yeah. I mean, obviously the concept is there. Uh, this town is being overrun by an evil person, and these ragtag – group of people who are all outlaws coming together to begrudgingly help this town. Um, And for the most part, I have to say that there really wasn't a whole lot in the remake that I missed about the original, except for, um, first of all, like you had in the original, Yul Brenner, Steve McQueen, Charles Bronson, and you have like a really great cast here. And you have, like, as I'm looking as they're describing it, the traumatized veteran, the gunslinger, the drifter, the knife expert, which James Corbin played the knife expert. And I don't know why that was, like, my favorite character for some reason. But the one aspect that they didn't include in the new one that I really liked about the old one was um, Charles Bronson's character, who kind of played, like, the pseudo uh father figure for these kids in the town and they're like telling him how brave he is and how unbrave their fathers are and he pretty much gets like really mad at them and like it's the 1960s so he's like like scolding them you know and saying like look your fathers are extremely brave you know and I, I, I miss that part in the new one I do wish that they had included something like that but I'm guessing you know it's the remake they want to make it different enough but uh, I love both versions of the Magnificent Seven, both the 1960s and the 2016. I think that um, they're just great freaking movies. Oh my god! Like 
Magnificent Seven definitely will always be one of my favorite westerns of all time. Wait, wait, give me one second. What, what spot is this? Uh, number six. Man, I should have put it at number seven, so Magnificent Seven could be number seven. Uh, <laughs> well, she is judging me right now. Well, I had the number seven spot, so that was my bad for not thinking of it, but that would have been a great pun, Brittany. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can't see it, but I'm bowing. <laughs> love it, love it. All right, so great, uh, whatchamacallit, but yeah, great uh, pick. Love it. Let's move on to the number five, and I'm going to pick a limited time series, um, and I am going to put the Hatfields and McCoys. Hatfields and McCoys, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> And uh, for anyone who doesn't know, this was a three-part mini-series on the History Channel, which was actually produced by Kevin Costner, and he even starred in it. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know, the Hatfields and McCoys are this real-life uh, conflict between two families back in the Western times that absolutely, like, uh, decimated both families. I mean, you talked about back in the day it really being lawless. These two families were murdering each other and frankly getting away with it. And as you kind of find out, and of course, you know, this is a three-part series, and yes, it's on the History Channel, but it kind of, of course, changes the facts a little. But for the most part, uh, the heads of these two families knew each other, fought together uh, side by side in the Civil War. After the Civil War happened, the two went their separate ways. And it just kind of seemed to, like, steamroll the family rivalry between the two of them. I mean, something would happen to one, and the other felt that they had to retaliate. And just it got so bloody throughout the years. And it is completely outlaw type of thing where they're just hunting each other. And they, these two families hate each other. I mean, to the point where it's still referenced, like if we're talking about like two two families hating each other, it's like, oh, worse than the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? It's just these mm-hmm. two families absolutely hate each other. And Kevin Costner was really good in this role. Boyd Holbrook was uh, in it, of course. And I'm trying to look up really quick right now because the gentleman who played the um, head of the McCoys actually passed away a few years ago. So I kind of want to give him his due, honestly. Uh, oh, Bill Paxton. So Bill Paxton plays the, um, the the head of the McCoy family, and he was really good in it because, um, I don't know if you remember, Brittany, but it's like he became, like, super religious and everything. And it's just, it, like, there were so many dynamics that went into it, like, uh, one of the daughters wanted to be with the son. Oh, yeah, uh, Bill Paxton's daughter wanted to be with Kevin Costner's son, and that caused, like, this almost, like, pseudo-Romeo and Juliet type thing going on between them. So I know that I'm, like, bastardizing the summary for this, but it's on Netflix, and it's three parts, and it's actually really compelling, and it does this good job of going through their history of how they know each other and kind of at the end of the conflict and how pretty much in order for everything to end, um, 
Kevin Costner's character essentially has to let one of his family members hang for a crime and not retaliate in order to let this whole thing end between them. And apparently Brittany had heard that uh, the the uh, descendants of these two families have met each other in modern day. And it's like, that is a crazy, like, bloodline. Like, hey, my great-great-great-grandfather was, like, murdering all of your family. It's like, oh, my God, mine too. <laughs> No, I think like the families like run like a joint like uh, museum together, but they still argue over who started the whole affair. But you know, I love Devil Ann's. Uh, I can't yes. remember what Devil Ann's. It was a uh, Hatfield. He was a Hatfield. I, I there yeah. is so many Hatfields and McCoys that my brain sometimes just goes mush with them. But no, that was great. You know. Growing up where I did, it's like, you know, you always did hear about the Hatfields and McCoys. It was very, um, what was it? The other one's like, the, I know it's Capulets and the Montagues, excuse, Montagues, oh. whatever. Romeo and Juliet. Juliet. <laughs> yes. And so when you made that comparison, I was like, man, I was like, you know, that's like the, well, I was going to say modern day, but way more modern a day of a Romeo and Juliet type situation of two families that hate each other so much that they, and I think even children were dying from that situation too, if I'm correct. But well, that was you the know, whole thing is why. Um, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, yeah. Devil Ants had to let essentially his, uh, you know, one of like I think his nephew or something hang because the nephew had accidentally killed like some of the kids of the McCoys because they describe him as quote unquote simple. Oh, isn't that the one where Cap is like, uh, like, don't let them leave the burning house? Yes, and, you know, obviously because, you know, he was a little, like, this sounds bad, but, you know, a little, quote, unquote, simple. He, you know, didn't understand that that doesn't mean start shooting the kids. (laughs) Yeah, and what's bad is the house is on fire. So it's like, what did they expect would happen? Either shoot them or them burn to death? But no, that that show is so into because you even sit there when it starts starts out and you're like, oh, this is fine, this is great, you know. Um, I think a big part of it wasn't they on the same part of the war and one of them got left behind. Like it goes so deep, like it's a deep seated grudge mm-hmm. between them. And then some people say it started over pigs. But when you start that show, you sit there and you're like, oh, they're great, they're wonderful. You know, how could they ever, def- you know go into this bad of a situation and you're like, oh, just wait. You'll see. It gets bad. Well, the whole thing is like, well, and then after the war, um, Devil Ann starts like pretty much a timber company, which does really well. And Bill Paxton's uh, Randall McCoy is not doing well, like financially and stuff like that. So pretty much like that also kind of gives birth to stuff like that because, you know, and, and yeah, there was something with, like, a pig, like, it was so stupid how everything started, and then it just kind of, like, snowballed from there, like, obviously, as I was, like, watching the series, there were some parts that were so obvious that it was, like, one person's fault, like, they show at some, like, county fair that um, Devil Ann's brother gets killed by some McCoys, and it was so unnecessary, 
you know, like, he wasn't doing anything. They got into, like, a small scuffle, and they start, and, like, the McCoys just start shanking him pretty much. So, obviously, Devil Ann was going to, um, you know, bring justice down on him and ended up, like, you know, executing, like, three McCoys pretty much. I mean, Devil Ann was not taking, like, no's for an answer. But Can we talk when about I how cool that name is, though? Devilland. Devilland. Oh, it was like crazy. Like the, I, I don't know. Like maybe who was worse than the other? Because they both like were pretty bad. But you had like Devilland. You had Jim Vance, who was part of the Hatfield family, and he was like really bad. But um, when I say that, like say the series, you know, obviously skewed some of the um the facts, like, uh, I had read this, right, so, obviously, Boy Holbrook plays, uh, Cap Hatfield, the whole reason why he's called Cap is because, uh, he gets this, like, really large splinter stuck in his eye, and he goes blind in it, and, like, caps over white, so they call him Cap, but in real life, um, it wasn't a splinter that went in his eye, it was essentially, like, a shell casing, so, I'm not sure, yeah, I'm not sure why Right? I'm not sure why they decided to change it, but who knows? Anyway, I love this show so much, and I think that it's probably, like, one of the better things that the History Channel has done, just because Kevin Costner freaking produced it. Man, you made me want to watch it. Like, because I've watched <laughs> a lot of it, because back when you were, like, watching it all the time, but Tia knows me. I'm like... I'm like the bits and pieces person. If you want me to watch something, I'm going to get like the main points of it and just roll with it. Because <laughs> in the words of that thing, ain't nobody got time for that. Well, just to let you know, I'm looking, Kevin Costner literally won an Emmy for his, uh, you know, acting in this. So like this show won like a shit ton of awards and was nominated for even more. Um, and Kevin Costner won a Golden Globe as well for it. So just to let you know, I mean, this uh, this series, this miniseries, is very well received by the public. Man, I do gotta watch it. I hate you. <laughs> well, it's on Netflix for anyone who's listening. But yes, Hatfields and McCoy, uh, the History Channel miniseries that came out in 2012 is going on this list. Now, Brittany, tell us your number four. Well, once again, it's probably on your list, and I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna, you know, you said we could skew it any which way we want, so I'm going with Westworld because it's literally no! in the name. Because <laughs> wow. you know, I have something else on my list, but I gotta wait for that. I'm stealing it. I'm stealing yours after this. It's over. No! <laughs> She was first one was like, ah, oh, you should watch Westworld. I feel like you would like that. And as she was explaining to me, I was like, this sounds like so stupid. What do you mean? It's like a amusement park and it's Western and, you know, they're actually like hosts. And I was like, I don't know, that sounds silly. And then I remember you got into it and I was like, okay, never mind. This is awesome. But uh, 
So you do, it basically it's like a western experience. It's like for people that want to live out that western movie. They want to be the hero or the villain of their own tale and you go through it and you're like, "You know what? This is a great and wonderful time." Until, you know, you see someone die and you're like, "Oh, they bleed like a human." And then you go to where it's like, "Oh, they're hosts. They're robots. They're artificially made for this type of situation." And I will never forget the whole thing with the host is that they can't hurt humans. They are not made. They will prevent any actual real harm coming to a person. And what kills me about that is whenever they're like, oh, I wouldn't even hurt a fly. And then that end scene with Dolores hitting the fly on her face, I was like, oh, no, I see where this show is going now. But it is so intense. All the characters are great in it. Uh, you know who I love the most in it. Dr. Ford is the number one character, and I don't care about anybody else's opinion. Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins, is the best part of that show. And he is constantly, uh, he, he's like the, the ringmaster behind everything. But if nobody's seen Westworld, you need to hop on that, because that show is intense. I will, will say I do think season one is better, and hopefully season three will uh, make up for season two, even though we know season two gave birth to one of Tia's favorite uh, actors. But, no, I it's like I don't know. There's so much going on in that show. It almost gets a little confusing whether or not it comes to Bernard, the host, and sometimes you lose a moment where you're like, okay, who's human and who's not human, but I know Tia loves this show too, and I'm sorry for taking it. You can hate me later. First of all, I'm going to call you out that um, haven't you not even seen season two? I've seen bits and pieces of season two, Tia. Don't even okay, add well, me right now. Okay, well, from someone who's literally watched every episode of Westworld multiple times, uh, no, but. As you said, this is on my list because literally West is in the freaking name. So it takes place in, obviously, the future because we do not have this technology right now. And you are first kind of open to the fact that it is a Western, but this Western is completely man-made and concocted by a group, uh, a company called Delos. And the, the host, a.k.a. the robots, are so technologically advanced that they are made with, like, pretty much synthetic DNA. And the whole experience is for people who are in this world, and and at some point I believe Anthony Hopkins' character, Dr. Ford, explains that, you know, there's no more diseases. You know, diseases are cured. Everything's cured. There's no more war. People are bored almost. So they go to Westworld to forget about the fact that they're in this, like, really technologically advanced society and they can just drink, eat, shoot, and fuck whoever and whatever they want with no consequence whatsoever. They want to kill someone, you can kill them because they're a host and they don't matter. They just come back. But it's really cool to see the series to kind of dive into what constitutes as a person because, you see these hosts and their sentience, their conscience, they, you know, and, and to see them kind of break out of their mold throughout the series is absolutely amazing. I mean, we have so many great characters. You have Jimmy 
Simpson, who, you know, at first plays the good guy, where you think he's a good guy, and then you realize that he's, no, he's just the man in black, Ed Harris's past self, so we know what he becomes. Ben Barnes is in it, and mostly in the first season. He pops up a, a few times in the second season. Um, Jeffrey Wright as Bernard, you have Tessa Thompson, Evan Rachel Wood, James Marsden. I mean, so many great actors who are just giving their all in this freaking um, Sandy Newton, who plays Maeve, who essentially is the first host to start figuring out that something's not right. Um, and that's so cool. And I, I don't know. I like the second, the second season. So many people were confused, and I get it. But I guess this comes from someone who really likes Christopher Nolan movies, and each and every one of his movies are confusing as hell. So to me, I didn't mind that every episode was like a mind fuck in Westworld, especially in the second season. I absolutely loved it. As you said, Brittany, Gustav Skarsgård comes in as Carl, and he's one of my favorite characters in the second season, albeit that he was a pretty minor character. You also have uh, Luke Hemsworth, the forgotten Hemsworth brother in it. It's just so good, the whole thing. Like, I absolutely love this series, um, and I loved, especially in the second season, getting to see the other worlds because you find out that Delos didn't just create Westworld, but they have, like, a, uh, like a samurai world. They have, uh, you know all these different types of worlds in it, which was really cool to see. Um, and But as it mostly takes place within Westworld, a very Western version of, uh, you know, of this park. It's a park, you know? And it's, we have the, so the thing is, I was forgetting my train of thought, the third season does look like we're going to get away from Westworld a little. It's still going to be called Westworld, but it seems like it's going to be taking place more so in the outside world, like the modern day world. But to me, first two seasons blew it out of the park. It was great to watch. Um, I loved every time. And we see a lot of it through, say, like uh, Evan Rachel Wood's, like Dolores's uh, eyes, the man in black. I mean, this is what continuously brings Ed Harris's character back to the park year in and year out. It's just kind of like, you can be the most primitive version of yourself. There is no cell phones. There's no fancy gadgets or anything. You're just kind of like living off the land and living how people used to live. And as they show, there's something so freeing about that. So I love Westworld so much. I think that's like my problem is that I am often with shows is that I end up, loving season one more than I love season two and then I'll see season three and then I start to love season two I I it's whichever one is like that changes things up that I normally apparently I don't like change no joking but no I do need to see all of season two and hopefully I'll feel a little better about it but Gustav Skarsgård is the best see that's the thing is I don't Thinks that he's coming back, um, which is sad. That's a side character, but we, you never know with Westworld. They, because of the whole aspect of hosts and 
the fact that they keep going space to the past. There's always the chance that they could bring back characters, but as far as right now, it doesn't look like it. Like, I don't believe that Ben Barnes is coming back for the third season. I think that they kind of wrapped up his storyline with Logan in the second season. But, you know, we would always love another flashback of dear old Logan, our, uh, our trash child, as I would say. <laughs> I get sorry. I, I saw uh, that one thing, but uh, I definitely. You know what? I'm gonna go watch Westworld today. I regret nothing. <laughs> You're not gonna even have time. You got work after this. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm just like sitting here. I'm like, you're like, I must think about westerns, but also make sure that make money. That is true. You always gotta make money. It's important. Um, I do hope that, you know, the third season of Westworld, we get to at least go back to the park because we saw, like, the end of the second season. So, obviously, the second season, Dolores has run rampant on uh, the park and (laughs) killed so many guests, which you kind of feel bad, but at the same time, you're like, you guys came to this park specifically just to kill people, even though they're hosts, um, and that just shows something kind of, like, wrong within you. Are you all right there? You're kind of, like, I, I hear a lot of rustling right now. I, I know. I was, um, I dropped my phone. I'm sorry. That's why I sounded crazy <laughs> for a second. I, I, know. I, was like, uh, I am that person today. Now. I'm sorry. I, I, I apologize. Atia's going to murder me, but not as much as my phone's going to murder me if it breaks. Good thing for cases. Exactly, exactly. But, um, yeah, so Westworld, definitely a good choice um, here. Oh, my God, I have, like, a joke that I was going to be like, I'm going to pick Will Smith's Wild West. What was it, Wild Wild West or something like that? No, you know what? I wouldn't even judge you for it. (laughs) I wouldn't even, you know what? Go for it. I love it. No, I'm definitely not going to pick that. But I always thought it was, like, funny because, you know, we have, like, say, spaghetti westerns, but then you also have uh, something called uh, freaking steampunk, right? Which, like, that movie was very much a steampunk back in the day. I was, I liked that movie, but it was a little weird. It was a little, uh, it was a very up for interpretation with what they were doing. <laughs> I mean, I liked the movie, but apparently, like, it didn't do well, like, at all. <laughs> um, like, among, like, critics and everything. So I just thought that was funny. But, um, all right. So I'm going to move on and pull a choice out of my ass, pretty much. Um, so it's going to be a, for my number three, is going to be another Quentin Tarantino movie. And it's going to be The Hateful Eight. Which, you know, funny enough, which is funny because um, Quentin Tarantino has this, uh, calls it? he tends to not really do, like, two movies within the same genre. So it is a little funny that he kind of did two movies within the Western genre. And The Hateful Eight, believe it or not, actually is probably, like, according to critics and, like, stuff, is probably, say, the least popular out of all the Tarantino movies, which, you know, 
I guess I can see that. I'm not saying that certainly it's like the best Tarantino movie ever, but I liked it. And the thing that I liked the most about, spoiler alert, I guess, um, is that everyone freaking dies. (laughs) You know, we always like joke that Tarantino, like, oh, okay, but the Tarantino movie, like a lot of people are going to die. And he took that and he was like, ha, everyone's going to die. And it's like, oh, you were serious about this. (laughs) You're really killing everyone. But what was great also is that it had essentially like Tarantino's, um, like the person, Samuel Jackson has been in so many freaking Tarantino movies. And he is just like, I I have a feeling that every time uh, Samuel Jackson's sitting at home and he gets, a phone call from Tarantino. He just picks up the phone going, okay, I'll be there. And Tarantino's like, you don't even know what I was calling for. I could have called you to ask, like, a recipe for something. And he's like, no, no, you're calling me to be in a movie. And Tarantino's like, yeah, I am. And he's like, okay, cool. Where do I got to be? I'm going to be there. But He's like, he's like please call. He's like, uh, you, uh, I'm trying to think of the word for it. He's very much like, uh, sometimes I wish you would just call to ask me about my day. Why do you always want something from me? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, to me, I just I, I love it. And the cast, I have I brought up the hateful eight just because I want to say like the cast is like this insane cast. I mean, you have Samuel Jackson, Kurt Russell, Walter. Uh, I want to keep saying that his name is Walter Goggins. Apparently, it's Walton Goggins. My bad. Um, but. <laughs> You've seen The Hateful Eight, right? I feel like we've Yes, I have. I, I have. I, I think I saw it. Actually, it's one of the few movies that I saw before you, which is always amazing when that happens because Tia consumes freaking movies like I do cookies. So, <laughs> um, You know what makes like The Hateful Eight so good? I, this is just me like shit-talking right now. It's the fact that they had um, – Channing Tatum in it for all of five seconds, and then he got shot in the head, and I was like, oh, perfect. This already is, like, one of my favorite uh, movies of all time. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, what I like about the movie, though, is sometimes I don't like movies where they're taking place in a million different locations or, you know, you have to follow along with it because it's very linear where you're always like, okay, well, this movie follows where they get to this town, and then they get to this town. No, what I like is that most of the movie only takes place in that cabin. I think it was during that snowstorm. And the fact that they're just kind of working through. Yeah, they pretty much end up in just this, like, cabin because um, the woman is a, uh, like, a fugitive that, Kurt Russell's character, I believe, is, like, bringing in and all of that, and you have all these, like, different, like, moving parts kind of going on. I mean, the way that Tarantino constructed this movie, because, you know, we find out, obviously, that freaking, um, whatchamacallit, it, that this is all planned. To, like, the people who are behind, like, the woman planned all of this to happen so that they could essentially free her because she was going to go be brought to be executed. And you have Samuel L. Jackson's character who, you know how in the whole movie he kind of like says that he has a letter from Abraham Lincoln and all of that, because it takes place, I think, fairly recently after the Civil War. 
And I love that in the end of the movie, it's kind of Samuel Jackson and Walton Goggins' character, because isn't it that Walton Goggins' character is very uh, racist? But then they end up, uh, yes. you know, but they end up working together in the end, and it's almost like poetic that the two of them like end up dying together. So I really like this movie, and I don't understand why people kind of disliked it the most. Um, out of all of Tarantino's movies, if I have to say, maybe it's just because he had already done a Western movie and people weren't used to it. But I mean, he had such a great cast, and I love that it was constructed all essentially in like one location. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm gonna pick, uh, The Hateful Eight. And um, I know that you, as you said, you saw it before me. So tell me your uh, your feelings about it. I think what I enjoy the most about it is, well, I was gonna, well, I was gonna say, well, actually, I'll start with what I disliked because I was just like, golly, is he pieced the shit out of that lady through like that entire <laughs> movie? Like, I think he like knocked out his head. Like he would hit her. I was just like, oh my god, stop! She just like just hit her. But anytime she smart mouthed or anything, I just felt like she was constantly getting hit. But then it turned out she was pretty evil. So you're kind of like, ah, oh, I mean, I still don't feel right about it. But I mean, I guess. But <laughs> I love the setup where it's like a. Well, you're right. It was like where they were all just trying to get, because I think she was an outlaw and her posse was trying to get her back. And you find out that everybody there was not exactly who you thought they were. But, uh, and then you have, uh, I'm trying to remember the main character's name, but where he was actually tracking down that man that entire time that uh, he killed his son and, uh, not only killed his son, uh, other things happen, but he tells that old man about what he did to his son, and oh, then he kills yeah. him. Yeah, and that, that was like was a big crazy. part. Oh, that's so good. That was just intense. That Hateful Eight, like Quentin Tarantino's movies, just stressed me out to like my core. It, it's still like where he almost like where it's not intentionally funny. But there is some parts that are humorous because I think that's just like human nature. But there's nothing that really cues us to laugh. I don't know if it's just the delivery or, as you said, the editing or what. But I always want to laugh during Quentin Tarantino movies. I'm like, this isn't funny. I don't know what's going on. I think he does, you know, he does on purpose. He's challenging the viewers. I mean, that's a very like postmodern era type of film tactic to do that. And I think that that's what kind of makes his, his movie so unique. And he always has these people who are so animated, right? Like in Django Unchained, you have Leonardo DiCaprio's character who's so animated, right? In, um, in Glorious Bastards, you have Brad Pitt's character, so animated. And in this movie, you have like Walton Goggins, who is just so distinguishable, like his voice and the way he acts. And you have all that, but uh, you're right. Like <laughs> they were beating the shit out of that lady the whole time. Um, her character's name was Daisy, and the actress's name is Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, and yeah, they were beating the shit out of her. I was like, God damn. But yeah, they like 
that that movie was crazy. I liked seeing how it like kind of deconstructed. It almost reminded me of like a Western version of Clue. Like who murdered? <laughs> blah blah blah. <laughs> Uh, like it just is crazy how everybody dies in uh Quentin Tarantino's movies where you're like, Okay, who's next? Who's next? Oh, everyone? Okay. That's fine. Yeah, I mean I was expecting like someone to make it out at the end and I'm like, No, he really like successfully killed every single character in this movie. I was like, Holy shit. Um, but it's funny because I haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And that's getting really good review, really good reviews. And I'm like, I wonder who's gonna die in that movie. Oh, I know, right? Everyone, just assume it's everyone, and you won't be disappointed. Well, I did hear, and I guess maybe this is supposed to be a spoiler alert, but you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does like have the, the actress Shannon Sharon Tate in it, which we all know what happened to her in real life. But I heard that. Um, Quentin Tarantino kind of like rewrote history there, similar to what he did in Inglorious Bastards. Like obviously Hitler didn't die by gunfire in a burning theater, which we wish he would have. But um, Quentin Tarantino pretty much did us a solid there by having that happen. So I heard that uh, he does kind of the same like rewriting of history in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Jeez, you know, and I, you know, it's funny as I just saw. Um, the uh, Charles Manson documentary that sometimes plays on TV, so ooh, gives me chills. Very creepy. You know what's kind of funny? This is very much off topic, but the guy who played uh, who played Charles Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the same guy who plays an older version of Charles Manson in the Netflix show Mindhunter. Apparently he was so good at it that they wanted him in two two things, and it's like I don't know if that's a compliment or not. Like you're really good right? at playing this guy. <laughs> you're just um, really good at playing a crazy guy. Well, you know, I guess you you know what he got paid twice, so good for him, right? Which is so right. funny. It comes it's come from the same dude who played Dewey Crow on freaking Justified, the goofiest dumbest character in that whole show so I mean gotta give that actor props for that but um yeah so uh, I was gonna say real quick I I could see that guy buying his wife something and she's like where did you get the money and he's like don't worry it was the Charles Manson money it's okay (laughs) (laughs) that's not right that's not right at all I hate myself. Oh my god, no! But that—that that is pretty funny. You need to watch Mindhunter. That is a great show on Netflix. Just saying. Um, but uh, all right. So I did my number three, and Brittany, you have the uh, the number two slot. What do we got? I am gonna go with this, but it's because I hope that you'll put the number one as the other. I'm okay. going to go with Lawless. Not what because, I was expecting you to do, but okay. I know, because I am hoping that it, it's for good reason, but also selfish because you know how much I love the one that I want for number one. Well, it's hilarious because you are, like, I would say, again, you steal in my pick, but 
again, you have one time watched Lawless, I think, six times in a row in one day. So you might be the better equipped to actually do this one. I love Lawless. And I know it may not deserve the number two slot for what it was, but if we're going off personal picks, you know, I literally, one day, I was off work, and nobody was home. I put on Lawless on Netflix, which I don't think it's on Netflix anymore, and I let it run, and I actually watched it for as many times as it could run, and one day, from me being awake to me being asleep, because I didn't get sick of it, and I just enjoyed listening to it, slash watching it, whatever I could do, because I loved it so much. So you got you got Tom Hardy, Shia LaBeouf, uh, Guy Pierce. Is that his name? Guy Pierce and Jason Clark. Yes. So you have a bunch of great actors, but you have the three brothers. They uh, run basically their own little prohibition ring. You know, they make their own moonshine. They're making money off of that, and they are very gruff and tough, and have I think a gas station slash like a little restaurant that they're running on the side. Well, end up, it's all going fine with them except you have Forrest, who we all know is the favorite. That's Tom Hardy's character, who's very gruff. He doesn't really talk. He kind of mumbles. He kind of grunts. Like, if you're like, oh, how are you doing? He'd be like, uh, uh, just kind of grunt at you because he is that type of character. And one of the few Shia LaBeouf characters I like, just because he played basically, not himself, but him being whiny for that role was very accurate for it. And then uh, what was the brother's name? Henry? Harry? Start with an H. Uh, let me look that up real quick. <laughs> okay. Well, as you do that, because I, I always forget the other brother, because he didn't get quite as much input quite as others in it. But basically, um, Chicago. What was that? Howard. Howard. I knew the story was an H, but no, the others were sounding right for it. But, yeah, you have uh, Guy Pierce's character. He's from Chicago. He ends up coming to their little town because they're trying to get the uh, alcohol situation. He's supposed to hunt down the moonshine businesses. And I'm going for the Western because it does uh, – it follows the same thing. It's very southern, very uh, – you got the big bad guy from the north coming down to the south town where they're trying to, you know, just do their own thing, and he's uh, he's interfering. But Guy Pierce's character is super terrifying. He's super sadistic. He um, he's very germaphobic. Always wears gloves. There's a point where, like, I think he slept with a girl. I don't know if he slept with her or not, but he even puts down like a newspaper for her to sit down naked on his bed because he so can't stand germs. But there's a part where he beats the crap out of Shia LaBeouf's character, like to near death, kills one of his friends. His, the, he had a friend that was, uh, had gotten a disease who was, uh, couldn't walk very well and ends up killing him. He's very just, he wants to know where the moonshine business is. Forrest gets his throat slit at some point. Uh, the girl gets raped. And it's just, it's very intense, but it's so good. There's so much going on. Tom Hardy's great in it. Everybody's great in it. But you do have, some Westerns can really turn your stomach. And that was one of those that turned your stomach. Because when Forrest gets his throat slit, 
and he's literally gripping the skin together so he doesn't bleed out and just falls in the snow. You're just like, oh, he's dead. There's no way he's coming back from that. I remember you showing me this movie, and I'm like, he's dead. And you're like, no, he, he's good. Trust me. He'll come back. And I was like, no. Are you sure? Are you sure you've seen this movie before? But no, I, I love all this. Have you met my brother Howard? <laughs> Have you met my brother? <laughs> oh my god! And I love that scene because Howard, Howard just comes out of nowhere in that scene. The scene that she was talking about is they come to confront um, Forrest and them, and Forrest is sitting on the porch, and Howard is very gruff, very like. Well, Forrest is like, even though he's scary, he's calmer, but Howard is just like full of drunk energy and always ready to fight. And the cop comes and he's like, oh, you know, we need to talk for us, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, have you met my brother Howard? And Howard, you just see him walking out and he's like, what you want? What you want? And just come over and they start beating the crap out of the poor guy. And he's law enforcement. Like, but they're so terrified of those brothers. They're like, you know what? You can beat the crap out of me and not go to jail. He's like, Howard was like, you try to save my brother? Ah! <laughs> and, like, and Forrest is just kind of, like, sitting there, and he's like, all right, Howard, all right, all right. Um, and that shit was, like, that's, yeah, Lawless is so freaking good. The whole thing, like, how they construct that. So in case, uh, for anyone who didn't know, uh, Lawless is actually based on a true story of the actual Bondurant um, family and it came the movie is based on this book called The Wettest County in the World which is done by Matt Bondurant who is uh, the grandchild of uh, Jack Bondurant who play, who is played by Shia LaBeouf right and a lot of this is kind of true uh, the real forest did in fact get his throat slit and survived apparently he was crushed by a bunch of logs so there was, like, a whole lot of crap that was going on. These guys were a part of the Prohibition era, selling moonshine illegally. But the whole town knew about because the cops were getting paid off, too. And then you have freaking uh, Guy Pierce's character, Charlie Race, coming in from Chicago. And uh, my favorite, one of my favorite scenes where they try to, like, buy fun. Uh, buy Forrest off, and Forrest is like, you take your fucking money and go back to Chicago, you assholes. And you have uh, Charlie Rakes, who doesn't like them, because remember, he's like, they got a little bit of engine blood in them, you know, and it's like, oh my god, like, what the they, they frick still is very racist on? at that time point so, for Native Americans. Oh my god, like, I was just like, wait, what? I was like, this is, what? But yeah, as you said, like, so very freaking racist when it comes to that shit. Um, and that's why, like, Charlie has – and Charlie Race in general doesn't like the people down there because he thinks that they're all uh, idiots pretty much. Like, oh, I'm so much better. I'm from Chicago with this freaking massive part in his hair, which was just so extreme. But oh, I know. It's so slicked. I was like – and you're like, oh, I like that actor. He's attractive. And I was like, ah, when he's not okay. playing that character, when he's not <laughs> playing that character. <laughs> playing a slick part guy. But, you know, to kind of, like, go even more so of how, like, uh, you know, just 
racist and hateful that character is. The girl that you're talking about was a girl of color. And he, like, puts the newspaper down so she can't even, like, sit on the bed and she's just sitting there naked. It's, like, just something so, like, eerie and off about it, right? Um, And just the whole entire thing of that character. But, yeah, as you said, like, like, Lawless was the first movie that, like, I really started, like, turning around a little on Shia because even though he was, like, a whiny bitch during a lot of it, his character was supposed to be that way, and then seeing him become the man towards the end of the movie really was, like, nice to watch as far as, like, his progression went. But... One of my favorite things, I love Howard, like, so much. As you said, he's, like, the bulldog and shit. But the relationship between Forrest and Jessica Chastain's Maggie was so beautiful because, um, you know, at some point, Forrest, when he gets his throat slit, and Maggie goes back because she's working at that, like, restaurant inn, um, she ends up getting raped by the men who tried to kill Forrest. And now Forrest doesn't know this. Forrest himself, because he's very, uh, there's like a legend around him. And the legend was that he literally walked himself to the hospital. And he believes it because he doesn't remember. And then towards the yeah. end of the movie, and then towards the end of the movie, when the Bondurants are about to literally start a war with Charlie Rake and the other law enforcement people, you know, she's like, I can't do this again. Come back to seeing you half dead. And he's like, I thought I walked. And she's like, wow, you believe your own freaking legend. And then he's like, wait, you were there. Those men were there. What happened? And it's like, she doesn't even need to say anything. He just knows. And you're like, oh, man, Forrest is definitely going to go and freaking kill someone. I thought that Forrest was going to die, like, a million times in that freaking movie. I know. And they were, like, two of Guy Pierce's characters' men, like, sent to rough up and everything. And he ends up castrating both of those guys and oh, sending the body right. back to Guy Pierce's character. Like, here you go. It's war. That, that scene was so dark because I mean yeah the movie had like a lot of like violent aspects to it but that was like almost like horror movie dark because uh remember Charlotte Buss character Jack was like all pumped because he was like we're gonna go and act revenge and he gets there and literally like freaking Howard is covered in blood because he's just finished castrating them and he's like here you go you could take this to Charlie Rakes and you're like oh my god you're like this is intense um they certainly uh, got those two bastards in the end. Oh no, it was very like, well deserved, but Jesus Christ! What is that? I said it was very well deserved, but Jesus Christ, it was horrifying. Yeah, no, absolutely. They definitely um did a lot of crazy shit. I will say that the only thing that may have been a little different in the movie. Um, is apparently the real forest was quite thin and sickly. Um, yes. and as we know, as we know, Tom Hardy was not thin and sickly because I think at the same time he was filming uh, The Dark Knight Rises. So apparently they tried to put, I like read the commentary for this, they tried to put a shit ton of sweaters on him to like mask how like massive he was. And I'm like, that kind of made him look bigger. You just, right? more bulk. you just add more bulk to him. 
You're like, um, I wouldn't be messing with fame trying to run a freaking uh, illegal moonshine business over there. I know, but it was so good. It's like, well, and as you said, like maybe it's not necessarily a traditional Western, but it has all the aspects of it, very much like outlaws and all of that with the bonderants. And um, I don't hear nearly enough people talking about this movie. And I think that it is a, one of Tom Hardy's like, best movies and they all did an amazing job and I don't know if you know this like Lawless pretty much was the movie that put Jessica Chastain in the public eye like she had said you know she was like 30 35 when this freaking movie came out and she was like I have been trying to get a break for years and this is my break and now she's like one of like the most well-known actresses in Hollywood (laughs) thanks Lawless (laughs) <laughs> but um all right we are down to the number one spot in our top 10 westerns in tv and movies and as always i'm going to name off uh, what we got so far so we have the salvation justified the revenant django unchained i'm going to put both of the magnificent seven movies hatfields and mccoy's Westworld, Hateful Eight, Lawless, and the number 110. Uh, we're going to pick uh, Jane Got a Gun. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I wanted you to be like, yeah, I wasted this. <laughs> no, obviously. It's like I'm um, done. I'm quitting. <laughs> uh, it's going to be Deadwood, of course. Uh, Deadwood is, uh, first of all, Brittany put me on to this. It originated as a show on HBO, yes, that rhymes, uh, for three seasons, and it stars Ian McShane, Timothy Oliphant, which, uh, as I said, remind, like his character in Justified completely reminded me of his character in Deadwood. Um, and you know what, Brittany? Because you watched more of this and you're a huge fan and everything, I'm going to let you take over. I'm going to let you um, set the stage for us. I think I think you've actually watched more episodes than me now, but I have rewatched a lot of it. So <laughs> Deadwood is a town that is basically not been accepted into the United States yet. It's still in like no man's land. It's its own little separate entity right now. So the laws of the U.S. aren't really touching it. So it's one of the last untouched lawless places. But if also for that reason with the gold that they have there, everybody is coming to this town to get a fresh new start, which is what's happening with, um, oh, what's his name? Um, what's the main character's name? I'm trying to remember. He's a real-life person. Oh. Who, Ian, who, Ian McShane? No, no, uh, the guy, uh, Waylon, Raylan, I mean. Oh, Timothy Oliphant's character? Um, yes. Oh, Shoot. Hang on. Can you tell we didn't pay attention to that guy? Uh, it's like, listen, I don't mind him as the elephant, but when you have someone like Ian McShane at the forefront, oh, everyone I know. pays attention to him. I mean, come on, like, no offense. Oh, Seth Bullock. Yes, and what's bad is I actually like him in that. I just got distracted by Ian McShane in that. I'm sorry. But <laughs> either way, he was a sheriff in another town. He has his friend with him, which... Oh, his last name is Star, which is like the coolest Saul. like last name. So, is it Saul? Saul Star. 
Soul Star. Star. What kind of name is that? It's still cool, though. Basically, he ends up, uh, they come into that town that he was a sheriff. That was his deputy. They were uh, kind of a joint partnership with that. Well, they end up going to this town to get a fresh new start. Well, it kind of follows them. They open up their own shop. They're trying to just open kind of like a general store, a hardware store, basically to make ends ends mean. But you have Elf Flaringen, who's the best part of that entire show. You could not, Deadwood would be nowhere where it is now if it wasn't for Elf Flaringen, who is played by Ian McShane. He has a saloon, and he basically runs this town. He basically bought it all up. And so anybody that's, like, buying stuff there, almost it's just they all bought it from Al, which I'm pretty sure he put some restrictions on all of them. Like, um, can't have the same card games or the same gambling games in town. No women, because, yes, he has uh, prostitution there. But he is one mean mother effer. And he, uh, he's, but he's hilarious. He he has such a sense of humor, even if he's not meaning to. Like, there's a part where a guy's, like, uh, repeating basically what he just said. And he's like, I know. That's what I just effing said. And he's like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I just said that. Don't repeat it. If I wanted to hear it back, I would ask you to repeat it back to me. But he's just, like, he's so funny. But he has, like, points where, uh, you think, oh, okay, he's not that bad. And then he, like, steps on someone's throat, which happens in, like, the first episode. And you're like, okay, he's scary. Never mind. You know, he's not exactly the man I thought he was. But you have Wild Bill. You have Jane. You have uh, Charlie. I don't remember Charlie's last name. But basically, it's just all of them just surviving in this town. And whatever comes across them, it's just uh, Seth Bullock and uh, Alice Swearingen butt heads a lot because Bullock is really, even though he's left behind, he didn't want to be the sheriff anymore. He almost can't let it go. He almost has to have it. But what's hard is that he ends up falling in love with this one woman whose husband dies, but he has a wife and a stepson because his brother passed away and he stepped in and he wasn't going to leave her a single mother. So he married her to basically protect her. And there's just so many aspects to it. And, like, all of these characters are real. The tells aren't always real. But most of it's real. Al Swearingen did have the gym. He was a very bad man. Um, Seth Bullock was a sheriff, while Bill is obviously real. And he dies in Deadwood, which is what happens in real life. But it is such a good... He, just like Raylan, he, Seth Bullock has way too much of a... Uh, easiness for shooting people just for uh, almost looking at him wrong but the whole entire show itself is just amazing I know I probably didn't explain it the most cohesive way but when I first watched it I was like I started with the movie and I was like wait a second I feel like I'm missing so much went back and watched the show instantly hooked I was staying up way too late watching each episode it's amazing and Tia loves Wild Bill, but we all know what happens to Wild Bill. And that's not a spoiler. That's just life and facts. Um, every time Seth Bullock shot someone, I half expected him to go, it was justified. Oh, it was justified. No, what, um, what's great about the Deadwood series is that it takes all of these, like, major 
people in Western folklore and puts them together. Um, and Deadwood, you know, really was an independent uh, sovereign state pretty much at some point in American history. Uh, Al Swearinger really existed. And actually, the show did, as awful as Al was in the show, the show toned him down because in real life, he um, tricked women into working at his brothel. He beat them regularly, killed many people. Uh, so the show actually did a job of, like, calming him down a little, believe it or not. But all these characters are real-life characters, uh, Calamity Jane, uh, Charlie Clutter, Doc, like any of the characters that you look and you think that they specifically created them for the show, look them up, they're real. And uh, yes, um, what instantly drew me to the show was uh, Keith Carradine as Wild Bill, uh, who, it's like, yes, I know that in real life he really was shot uh, while playing cards, but they didn't need to kill him off in the fourth freaking episode. They could have, like, had it keep going. Oh, because I know. They, they, they took Al Swearingen's story in a completely different direction than what happens in real life. So I'm like, you could have, like, Keith Carradine's a really good actor, and Bill, like, while Bill's uh Spirit was like carried on throughout the series because Calamity Chain's constantly mentioning him, Charlie Utter, um, they're all mentioning him. So I, I will still forever be salty about the fact that they decided to off like one of the best characters on that show. But besides that, like as you said, Ian McShane is so freaking good in that role that he pretty he's much the best just, part. he's the best part. I do love um, the, the 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 rivalry between Al and the other brothel owner, uh, Ty, right? What's his name? Uh, um, it's Ty Tolliver. Ty, right. Um, and that was freaking great because, you know, he at first Al is the only brothel in town, and then Ty comes in with his more upper-class type of, uh, prostitutes and everything that threatens uh, Al's freaking um, operations going on and everything. And it's a really good show. Like, it is super compelling. It makes for a awesome Western to kind of live within this, like, really historical uh, moment in time to, like, learn about. Because I certainly had no idea about Deadwood and that that was actually a part of American history. I mean, I remember hearing, you know, obviously Wild Bill. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's and I like Calamity Jane. But then you find out they're all freaking real-life people. Um, I will say, watching Deadwood, like, we've mentioned a few. I guess when you talk about Westerns, which is bad, like, there's always that aspect of, like, racism there. But holy shit was this freaking show racist at times. Oh, I yeah, was like, it was. Oh. And, you know, it wasn't, like, made that long ago that I was like, this, they got away with a lot, this show. I mean, and, and the way they... And I know the they, they were trying to be historically accurate, but you're still like, ooh, make me flinch. Oh, yeah. I mean, the way that they treated, like, Asian people in this show definitely made me really uncomfortable at times, but... The show itself, um, just because of, like, Ian McShane, was just so good. And um, 
I love, like, even, say, the first episode where you have Wild Bill and uh, Seth Bullock confronting that one guy who you find out, you know, had a part in the death of, like, this family. And they're like, get down from your horse. And he goes to, like, get his gun, and both Bill and Seth shoot at him. And Bill's like, was that you or me? And he was like, oh, I'm going to say it was you because you're the fastest, uh, the fastest draw in the West. <laughs> pretty much, but um, I know I love it. It's very Western in the fact that you know back then everything was about like oh we have to go west, you have to get gold. I mean it was really this like huge booming time in America that I think that is another reason why people are so drawn to like this type of era when it comes to like cinema because we're like obsessed with learning about shit like that. And I was going to say, mentioning back on the uh, Cy Tolliver and um, Al Swearingen is what gets me about it is Cy is more clean, right? And you think, oh, he has this dirty place. He gets the dirtier people. And you're like, oh, okay. But it, it's such like a good uh, comparison because even though Sai ends up being way worse than Al. And you think, oh, that's not possible. You know, he's, you know, blah, blah, blah. But there's even a scene where that girl starts to work there, and he's like, oh, kill her brother if we can't get her to work there. And in the same aspect, Al, when he's like, oh, you want to work here? And she's like, oh, no, thanks. And he's like, oh, okay. He didn't try to kill her brother to make her work there. Isn't that the same girl that, like, Cy pretty much beat so badly she oh, got yes. brain damage? Yes. That scene was so bad. Like, it made me That's sick. So I brutal. all of it. It's so brutal. Like, he beats her bad. And it's, like, I think it's kind of, like, I think it it just made me think of, like, it was kind of like a small animal getting hit or, like, um, when animals get so badly hurt that they're dying and they start to thrash a little bit, it's very comparison. It, it, it's very much like that. Very like, you're like, oh, it, she's dead. She's just not dead yet. And it's very sad. Yeah, it was definitely cringeworthy for sure. But um, yeah, Deadwood has to be the number one on this list. I know that probably, you know, there's more traditional Western films that you we could have come up with, but I like always taking a more creative approach to everything. You, of course, as, as we said, the the classic John Wayne movies, the Clint Eastwood, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, and all of those. But um, I really like the list that we came up with. Um, you had sent me a few uh, honorable mentions and, uh, you know, Godless on Netflix, which is definitely going to be the next show that I watch after I finish uh, Hulk and Catch Fire because it's a mini show and everything. Um, And I had to mention really quick because I don't watch the show. So if anyone watches the show, please, like, call me out on this shit. But uh, Fear the Walking Dead, I'm seeing, like, pictures of this and it looks like a western even though it's a spin-off of the, even though it's a spin-off of the walking zombie dead western. like there's they freaking oh yeah it's like a zombie western they're wearing like cowboy hats and like boots and have like guns and i'm like wait is fear of the walking dead just basically like a zombie western because that's what it's looking like right now. <laughs> as an honorable mention i would put that down <laughs> 
Yes, I, I'm okay with that. You got to get some horror aspect into these westerns. And I would say that, um, Brittany, that uh, Brokeback Mountain is a bit of a stretch for a western. I know that it I had some stretches there. <laughs> All right, it's a western then. We'll put it down. We'll put it as an honorable mention, Brokeback Mountain as a western. Um, and as I sure. said, the the Wild Wild West with uh, Will Smith. I also yeah, wanted to I also really wanted to say quickly, I did actually like James Out of Gun um, with uh, Natalie Portman, Boyd Holbrook, and, uh, oh, God, I think Ian McGregor was it. Is that it? I have to look them up now. It's going to bother me because I want to, like, you know, uh, give credit where credit is due. But, um, yeah, Ian McGregor. He was great in that. Holy shit. Good. Ian McGregor was, like, the best part of that freaking movie. But, um. We did an awesome job in uh, breaking down our favorite uh, Westerns in TV and movie. And, Brittany, I want to give you a chance while we have a few minutes left to uh, promote yourself and kind of let us know what's on the horizon. You can always find me at Brittany underscore Hegel, either Twitter or Instagram. Me and Tia are going to be at New York Comic Con, so look forward to some content from that with us, whether or not following our Twitter, because that's probably where we're going to be posting most of our pictures, uh, even though they'll be going through Geek Vibe or whether or not they're straight to some of our accounts with certain pictures. Uh, so you can find us there, and whatever I'm doing, I'm going to update it there. I've been cosplaying, so hopefully I'll be able to get to do more of that. Awesome, awesome. Yes, and as Brittany said, we are going to New York Comic Con. We'll be there Saturday. Um, so if you see us, make sure that you say hi. It's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to seeing all this fantastic cosplay out there, all the great content that we got going on. Of course, you can always visit geekvibesnation.com and see all of our amazing articles, news, podcasts, uh, videos. We obviously do in the top 10. We have Geek Vibes Live, Monday Stuff, Full Court Press. Um, they call this a movie, just a million other things that you can kind of deep dive in. And just make sure that you look at all of our stuff because we've got a lot of awesome uh, indie type of uh, directors reaching out to us so that we can kind of review their stuff. And they're really good. We recently um, reviewed this short uh, comic called Ling, and I'm really proud of that one. So make sure that you check it out. And you can Find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram, Tia Fabi. We just got a lot of stuff. And please reach out to us and let us know what some of your favorite Westerns are because it may be an old genre, but it's certainly one of my favorite genres. So, Brittany, thank you again for joining me today. Hope you have a great rest of the day. And I um, am going to pop off and get all the stuff done that I need to get done. So thank you. (laughs) And have a great day. Have a great day. Bye.